media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. You're looking at verses 9 through 11 this morning. I don't know if you know this or not, but most pastors and preachers and speakers, uh, even outside of a spiritual realm, uh, have one main thing that they said, okay, if, if the audience gets this, if, if the participants get this one thing, then they will feel like, okay, uh, it was successful. And certainly I feel that way as we open up God's Word. There's always at least that one thing that you just hope that grabs the heart and the minds of the people that gather together. And last week, that one thing that I really wanted to, uh, I, I think is the, the main point of the scripture that we looked at last week, was this purposeful downward trajectory that Christ took. Remember when we were looking at verses 6, 7, and 8? And how it talked about, it, it started in heaven, this pre-incarnate Christ. And how even though he was God, full deity, he didn't consider that something to be grasped. And so he purposely comes down and it talks about how he was born, the, what we call the incarnation of Christ. He's heaven to earth and then it goes on and then he suffered for us. He willingly, purposely went and died a death for us so that we could have redemption in our lives. And so he goes to the grave. And this downward trajectory, if you get that, then you get the humility of Christ. You get what it says in Philippians 2.5 when it says, have this mind, this attitude in you, which was in Christ Jesus. I love the ESV, which is yours in Christ Jesus. If we get that, then we begin to grasp really the fullness of this verse, because I, I promise you that this natural, natural inclination that you and I have in our sinful nature is to climb up. But we hate being put down. We hate anything that's kind of embarrassing. We hate anything that uh, doesn't kind of um, make much of ourselves. And so we have this natural inclination to go up. And, and Christ says, no, this attitude that I want you to have that is a demonstration of me working in your life. And that you have met me, and not only have you met me, but I dwell in you, is that you begin to take on this purposeful downward trajectory. Jesus does this. Philippians 2, 6 and 7. Who though he was in the form of God, did not count quality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptying himself. And then Paul, kind of just line by line, description by description, begins to tell us how he emptied himself. By taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of a man, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That was all of last week, and and it kind of leads that uh, into this week. If you get that, if you grasp that, then you really have a foundation for understanding verses 9 through 11. Because what's the first word in your translation? In the ESV, it's the word therefore, which is always that connecting word. I know that there's some others. But what's the first word of, uh, first word of verse nine in your translation? Therefore. therefore. Anybody have the New American Standard? Yeah, for this reason also. I, I love that. For this reason, pointing back, tying in these two things. And so, uh, with that in mind, since he's talking about, if you get this, 
And you understand and grasp this purposeful downward trajectory of Christ and this attitude. And now the challenge for you to display that in your life, we have the foundation to understanding this passage. Now, we don't always do this in our church. And there's been times uh, that that uh, I know in churches past we've done this. And uh, some people say, well, we should do it all the time. But I'm going to ask you to stand because this is a uh, as we read verses 9 through 11, because... I, as we read God's word this morning, I actually, it's going to be printed up here. And so that we kind of stay together, I am going to ask that you read this version, whether you have this, that, or the other version out there. Because there's something powerful about every word of God. But when we start talking about the exaltation of Christ, the lifting up of Christ, there's something in your soul, in your spirit that needs this, folks. I don't know about you, but those songs that we just sang... Did it kind of just help you here, a little bit here? Or was there something deeper? When we start exalting Christ and proclaiming that it goes really deep, it goes down to the core of who you are. And so as we read this, we sing this as a church. We sing this as a body. We sing, we say this together this morning in proclamation to join with the Heavenly Father saying, yes, this is truth. So all together, guys, verse 9. I'm sorry. Uh, Yeah, there we go. (laughs) Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. Father, we come before you this morning. And Father, we agree with what your spirit says. And Father, just what your word says, that this is truth. This is a date, Father, that will happen in your history. Father, this is truth that is already theologically correct and real. And yet, Father, we anticipate that day when we see the fullness of all your plan come together. Until that day, build us up in your faith, Father. Build us up in the faith that you are working with every step, Father, toward completion. We love you and we thank you as we pray this in the hope of Christ. Amen. And you may be seated this morning. Do you see the trajectory of that? Where before in the previous verses, what do we see? A downward trajectory of Christ. This attitude is, I purposely go down. Heaven to earth, to the grave. Now when we get to this passage, when it talks about, therefore, here's what God the Father is going to do, what way would you say this is going? Left, right, down, or up? Do you see the upward trajectory? And you see that he says, okay, everything about this is pointing up that he's going to take the name of Christ. He's going to take Christ and all the truth of Christ, and he's just pointing up into what we call exaltation. I know that's not a word that we use a whole bunch, or at least we don't use it in a spiritual sense. But who, what does this exalt, uh, uh, who's the who that does this exaltation? Okay. Is it mankind that is doing this exaltation of Christ? No. There wasn't a sudden kind of uh, remorse of man. Oh, what have we done? Okay. Was it Jesus who was exalting himself here? 
Did he say, okay, I'm tired of, of not claiming, you know, or grasping to, for you to understand my deity. And so I'll show you. Is this kind of a, you know, honey, he's just tired of it all? No. It's the Father. And while this will culminate, culminate in finality one day, this exaltation has already taken place. Do you understand that in verse 9? Therefore God will. Therefore one day God might. What does it say? Has. It's done. The past tense is purposeful, guys. The exaltation happens at the resurrection. Now the fullness of this day will happen in reality as far as this realization in a time of the future. And I challenge you this morning to understand that when we get this, when we grasp this, we really get this kind of in-between state that we are as Christians. Again, I asked you before, where is your citizenship? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you've put all your faith and your trust in his redeeming work to be right with the Holy God, where is your citizenship this morning? In heaven. And yet, where do you live? On earth. When we begin to really grasp that, and don't see it as a riddle, but we see it truly as a theological truth and a practical truth of living the Christian faith, it really does show us that we are completed already in Christ Jesus. Is God waiting for Jesus to do one more thing? Is he waiting for you to add to your righteousness? No. You are fully justified if you are in Christ Jesus. All of this is done. It is finished in Christ Jesus. And yet the reality won't happen till that day when I see him face to face. You're smart people. I try to preach to you as intelligent people. You grasp that, right? You see the point that we're trying to make? Because I don't know about you, but our faith chart does this. We talk a lot about how our life chart does this. But would you agree that for the most part your faith chart kind of goes up and down? And then there's days, there's weeks, maybe even seasons of your life when your faith is so challenged. And and yet, do you start saying, I I don't know that I even believe in Jesus anymore. There's very few people that I have experienced and that said, you know, I'm just ready to abandon the faith. I've had some, and I've seen some people actually abandon the faith. But most people, when they say, I'm really being challenged in this season of my life, this day, whatever the event might be, they're not saying, I don't believe in Jesus anymore. What they're saying is, my faith is kind of injured right now. Do you relate to that? And sometimes it can be the world frame. I mean, this is a crazy world, guys. It's a fallen world. You don't have to look past your own family. You don't have to look past Jefferson. You look out in the world, you see this craziness. And yet, so much of the craziness and so much of this th- these things that begin to attack our faith, it comes out and it can visit your house and your family. We see it broad scale. We see it in the most personal ways. And that's why this morning when we begin to read this, we begin to see first and foremost in verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. Has. It's done. The exaltation is in place. 
the fullness of that, in a matter of speaking, will come on this historic day. Do you see the intentional language that is being used here in this verse about who is doing this? It says, God has highly exalted him. God has bestowed upon him the name. Folks, in the day of of self-exaltation, this is a really, really important point. This is not Jesus pouting, going, do you really know who I am? Have you ever felt like saying that? When we, uh, in in seminary, me and a couple other guys uh, owned a lawn care business. And out in Fort Worth. And so we would go to seminary. Uh, we were each pastoring churches. And uh, yet we were doing some really grubby work during the, the week. And there were times that the people that we were working for, you know, kind of treated us like, okay, we're just, uh, you know, the people that cut the grass. And basically we were the people that cut the grass. And every once in a while we got treated in such a way that you wanted to go, but you know... Uh, I've got a master's degree and, you know, I pastor a church and somehow you just wanted to kind of let them know, no, this didn't define you in, in, in any, uh, and in no way was there anything wrong. It was very honorable what we were doing. But have you ever felt that in your own heart? That somebody didn't quite acknowledge all of you and you wanted them to know, okay, I am somewhat accomplished. That's not what's happening here. This is not Jesus struggling to make a name for himself. This is not Jesus saying, I just want to remind you. No, it is the Father who does this. I love what Spurgeon says on this passage. He says, now just pause over this thought that Christ did not crown himself, but that his Father crowned him. That he did not elevate himself to the throne of majesty, but his father lifted him there and placed him on this throne. This humility that we read about in, in verse 5, that's demonstrated in verses 6 through 8. It didn't all of a sudden go away. No, we see it continue. But we see his father saying, no, I will exalt you. God the Father, it says, bestows on Christ, the name. Not just a name, the name. Means that he gave. To bestow something is to, to grant something. Uh, we've had uh, uh, several in our church that have had recent children. Uh, others, when you are going through and you're having these children, you're going to bestow upon them a name. And I know it's kind of really frustrating for some of those people seem to figure out the name that they're going to give their kid, their child. Like, you know, before they even find out that they're really pregnant. And then others, it's like, you haven't figured out the name yet? And I think there's beauty in both. Because in one, you know, maybe it's a family name. Oh, no, we've known for months now because we're going to name this child after granddad or after grandma or after this person or that person. And so there's honor, there's purpose. And you know almost immediately this is the name that we will bestow upon this little girl or this little boy. Others... It's not that you're confused by that. It's not like oh, we don't have anybody worthy to name this child after. And it's not that it's like, wow, this weight of bestowing. The importance of this bestowing. 
this child is going to carry this name. We, we want it to stand for something. We want there to be purpose in it. Does that make sense? That you can, the, the people that figure it out day one, the ones that are still, uh, and they come to them, okay, you're about to check out of the hospital, you've you got to give this child a name. It's not that they're just going, I don't know. Wilbur? I, I don't know. No, they see the importance of bestowing a name. Paul, in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, isn't just using words here. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him, granted to him, given with purpose this name that is above every name. It's not haphazard at all. And here the Father bestows on him this name, on him, a name that is above every name. If you look at the Greek in the Old Testament, there's the Hebrew... New Testament, the Greek. And remember, God had a name in the Old Testament that the Jewish people made uh, where they took out all the vowels so that you couldn't pronounce it. Uh, we, we call it today Yahweh. And, and the reason why they did that, because they said, okay, this is such a distinguished name. It's such a holy name that God has. We don't want to say this because we're just not even worthy to say the name of God. And so they removed the vowels from Yahweh, what we say now Yahweh, This is the New Testament. This is the Greek version when he says, Lord here, of Yahweh from the Old Testament. Is that cool? He said, I bestow upon the name. But I I bestow this name of ultimate worth and holiness. Folks, this attitude of Christ, this mind of Christ, is just the opposite of what we see in the fallen one, the, the evil one, Satan devil, whatever name you want to give him. I mean, you go back to Isaiah 14. Look at verses 13 and 14. And this is a description of Satan. And I want you to notice the drastic difference, not just kind of a tinge to the left or right, the drastic difference between what we just read about God bestowing a name on Christ and this motivation here. This is talking about Satan. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. A little bit different? This attitude of Satan, this attitude of this desire of Satan to make much of himself, and Christ purposely humbles himself. Therefore, as Paul would say in the first word, God has exalted him and bestowed upon him a name. Look at verse 10. So that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Question. Does Jesus already have this name? Yes. But the full realization of it, the full extent is still kind of coming. Again, that's the whole Christian life. It's there, but in a way it's not there yet. We're still believing by faith. But there will be a day of culmination. There will be a, a day when what we believe by faith and what is real in truth will become a reality in our own experience. 
Now, this is really important because there are so many things, again, in the Bible that are promised to you that said, okay, this is who you are. You are a citizen of heaven. You are a child of the living God. You are a champion in Christ Jesus. You're more than a conqueror. Are those biblical descriptions of those who are in Christ? Yeah. And it's not that we didn't earn those. We didn't kind of have to do five things to get those. And then we checked it. No, those are who we are in Christ Jesus. Question. You more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. How many days just last week did you not fight, find yourself finding quite like a conqueror in Christ Jesus? Emotionally, physically, even spiritually, mentally. Well, Bobby, you just keep on making that point because it's a really valid point. Not just because it's part of the sermon and part of the text. It's a really valid point, guys. Part of faith is so believing truth, so grasping truth, so that when we don't feel like it, we still know it's truth. We have so made our feelings as the justifiers of what is. Well, this is the way I feel. So it becomes truth. And we live in a culture that says, yeah, if you feel it strong enough, that becomes truth. Folks, it's not biblical. It is a lie. It is a trap. And that's why we need to be buried in the Word every single day. Because you know who really wants to justify my feelings? Yes, out of me, myself, and I, who really wants to justify truth by my feelings? Me, myself, and most of the time, I. Would there be a part of you that would agree with that? And that's why the scripture says, no, I'm not going to make you a slave to your feelings. I'm not going to make you slave to the seasons of your life. I'm not going to let you like celebrate way up here only to know that there's this valley that's going to come two weeks later because then we really are on an emotional roller coaster. But folks, then we're going to be on a spiritual roller coaster. And it's really easy to get into a theological roller coaster at that point. And so this is important. That we begin to say in, in this point, okay, these are things that are going to happen. They're already reality, and yet I don't always feel them. But just because I don't feel them does not make it any less true. Would you agree with that biblically this morning? That even on the days that you don't feel like more than a conqueror, that is still your identity in Christ Jesus? Is that important for a young mom? Is that important for uh, the challenges of being a dad? Is that important as we find ourselves getting older and our body not cooperating and we have very little influence because of age and that all of a sudden when we don't have those feelings, we don't have data to back up. I am more than a conqueror in Christ that we know this is the proclamation of God and it doesn't have to be the proclamation of the world. And it doesn't even have to be the proclamation of Bobby. Who are you going to believe, guys? 
The truth of what God said about you or the truth about how you feel about yourself that particular day. But this is our foundation. This is our hope. And so the Bible always kind of constantly reminds us of these things that are, we just don't see the fullness of them right now, but we are fully justified. We are fully forgiven. I still don't grasp that as I struggle with sin on a daily basis, but I believe it with all my heart and encourages me. I mean, even a lot of the old songs, if you you notice, they talk, they always have this verse about heaven. They may talk about a lot of the struggles of life, but a lot of those old songs, what's the last stanza? Whether it's number four, verse number four or verse number five. I mean, will you don't sing, you don't have to sing this with me because that would compel me to sing. But, but can we, see if you can even say these words, especially as old timers, okay? Uh, take them from this song and what it does to your heart. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me to the promised land. Say to you, what a day, glorious day that will be. How many of you need that truth? And that reality, even if it's not going to happen for a week, a month, a year, many years, to be reminded that truth, it's already true, guys. But there's also also a sense that it will be true. And that's what verse 10 is saying. Paul reveals to us what is, but also what will be. Look again at verse 10. So that at the name of Jesus, not a name, the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. It's because of the majesty and the authority of this name that we see this reaction of bowing. Now, who's bowing? Paul tells us three different kind of groups of people or creation. One is in heaven. Most would say, okay, that's the the angelic beings that that never rebelled. That's the angels, creation of God. Some would include us in that. That is the redeemed saints that have already gone on to to, to be with Christ. That it could be that. I, I don't know that we can conclusively say that's what he means by those in heaven. But certainly it's the angelic creation. Probably, more than likely, create uh, those that have been redeemed and, and gone on. Those on the earth, that would be the unredeemed of all mankind, those that just do not follow Christ, those that have not trusted his work, and then those under the earth, the demons. The point isn't so much that Paul's trying to give us description of who each group is as much as he's trying to be inclusive. The whole point of Paul is saying, okay, on this day, when God the Father exalts the Son, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. Who are those groups? Everybody, all of creation. Those above the earth, those on the earth, those below the earth. I don't know that he's trying to give us a theology of who these groups of people are, except that he's trying to be inclusive. 
there will not be one part of creation that avoids this. My personal belief is that all of creation will acknowledge this truth, not as saving faith, but the acknowledgement of truth. I, I personally believe that there will be people that when they stand before the judgment of a holy God and uh, they did not know Christ, they will be so aware of their sin, so aware of God's holiness, that hell will just make sense. I'm not saying that all of a sudden they're going to desire to go, okay, I want to go to hell. But in the face of the holiness of God and their own sinfulness, I, I think it will make sense. In other words, truth will be revealed to them. Just my own personal belief. I'm not saying that all of a sudden they did desire, okay, yeah. But I do believe that even people that enter to hell will see the justice of it. And you can ask, we can have conversation about that later. Folks, when we see God and we see the truth of God, especially in the light of eternal things, clarity comes, not confusion. When I move myself from the Word of God and I get farther away from the things of God and the truth of God, what happens in your life? Clarity or confusion. So we need to stay in the Word. If we want to have clear understanding, we stay in the Word. Verse 11, as we close. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I, I Again, I don't believe theologically that this is confession. Uh, there are some people that said, hey, in the end, everybody's going to bow, everybody's confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and everybody will end up going to heaven. I, I think you have to invade so many other biblical passages to get to that point. I, I don't believe in any way that this is preaching universalism. I don't think that it's preaching that God at the end goes, oh, come on. And I'm really not trying to be silly with that, guys. I'm saying that in a profound way because there's a lot of people that just think that one day, well, you know, if God really is a God of love, is he? No, he's a just God. He is a God of love, and he's holy, he's just. All these different attributes don't ebb and flow. He's 100% of all of those things. And so when we look at Scripture, we need to make sure that we're looking at that in a way that we that reflects this fullness of God. Here it tells us that every tongue will confess means tell the truth. Have you ever had to confess something that you didn't want to confess? Have you ever been so put in the face of truth that you couldn't deny the lie that you had believed anymore? I believe that's what's going to happen here. I don't believe this is saving grace and faith at the end. I don't believe that all these people that do that, I, I believe what they're doing is just agreeing with truth. I don't believe that in the end everybody goes to heaven. It just invades too many other biblical passages and truths. But I do believe that there's a coming day, folks, when God's truth will not only be acknowledged, but will be confessed. 
The Greek word that's used here means to openly agree, to agree openly. We've used this illustration before. You know, you, you got this son and this daughter. And let's say the daughter just goes and messes up, uh, you know, the, the son, his toys or whatever. And, and so you say to her, Sally, you go over there and apologize to your brother. And we've used this illustration before because I think it's very apparent that Sally is kind of compelled at that point to go through the actions. But very seldom, I mean, have you ever really seen a Sally that went, you know, this thing is gripping my heart now. I just, I, I just messed up my, my brother's toys. And I repent. And I would do whatever my brother needs because I want to just show that as with the life of affection and adoration. Said no sister to any brother ever. Maybe we did feel some regret, remorse, and even some repentance. Especially as we matured, we saw more and more, we just didn't want to do that to a brother or sister. I don't believe that this is on the terms of, now you go tell everybody, you don't, you bow, okay, now you confess that Jesus is Lord. And that, like a little Sally with no heart, with no mind, with no, Understanding the truth just says those words. I believe that there's what's implied here is that when they say this openly, it's not saving faith, but I believe they've become so in the face of reality of who Christ really is that it will be authentic. I truly believe that when all of creation says this, that there will be an authenticity, not saving faith, but an authenticity because they will see with their own eyes that Jesus is Lord of lords and kings of kings. Does that make sense? This is a glorious day. Because truth culminates into reality. What about today? See, this is where I would not want you to think that, well, I'll just wait for that day and I'll confess and just cross my fingers and hope I get into heaven. Folks, the, the Bible makes it really, really clear. They're on point into death once and then comes the judgment. The Bible says that. Well, that's just kind of old preaching. No, it's kind of old truth. The Bible doesn't talk about second chances. Jesus tells a parable about somebody who dies and are two people that die and, and that they go to two different places of eternity, one to Abraham's bosom, the other one separated from God. And in that parable, the one who's separated from God says, well, at least go back and tell my brothers. He says, no, they have the prophets. They have the truth. They have the scripture. Because we have a really mean God. No, he says, the truth is there. And so here's the point, guys. This reality will happen. But I don't believe that this will be saving faith. The opportunity to trust Christ as Lord and Savior of your life is today. Here's what Paul wrote to the Romans. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe where? In your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes 
and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. He's saying you have opportunity today to acknowledge this truth. On that day, I will be one of those that will acknowledge that truth too. But it will be a truth that I already understood and already embraced the grace of God and the opportunity of God before me. Have you done that in your life? Has there been a time in your life when you just kind of looked at all the the confusion of the world and were confronted perhaps with the truth from a preacher, from a study, turned on TV and they had this guy preaching and you felt in your heart that what he was saying, what they were saying was true. And God opened up through his Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of God opened up understanding of your sin and his holiness. But not just the separation that your sin and his holiness created, but the provision that God made to bring you from that place of sinfulness to a place of holiness. God's provision, God's answer, his one and only answer is the work of Jesus Christ, his son. No other way. Not being a good person, not going to church every single Sunday of your life, but trusting your whole eternal soul and being into the one who died for you. If you've never done that, I'd love, love, love. It would be the most important thing that I would do today to be able to sit down and talk with you. This morning, sometime this week, Because this isn't a religious thing, guys. This is the truth of all eternity. Let's pray together. Father God, how gracious you are. That you're not a God who says, okay, one day we're all going to be surprised and find out truth but that you're a God who's already revealed your truth to us. And Father, you've given us your very spirit to help us to understand and grasp the Bible. You've given us your word so that we can have just right there in letters and black and white, Father, the reality of your word. And you've given us, Father, a spirit and a soul to understand our need for that. So Father, I do pray today that if there's anyone Father, has just never come to that place. They just, they're counting on being a good person, but they've never come to that place and said, I need Jesus. That today, Father, would be that day. Father, for us who, who have professed with our mouth and believed with our hearts and our minds, Father, that, that Christ is Lord, thank you for the grace that you have given us. But as we stated today, Father, we're walking this journey and there's a part of us, I know that you have made me a conqueror in Christ Jesus. But Father, there's so many days I don't feel like that. So will you not, Father, allow me to become victim of my feelings, but that I will be a person of truth and truth will be his foundation in my life. And I pray that for this congregation. I pray that for young moms that are just overwhelmed with all the responsibility of raising little humans. 
I pray that for dads who have been called to pastor their families in a world that is falling apart. I pray that for aging senior adults that see a world totally different from the world that they were born in just 60, 70, 80 years ago. We need your hope. We need your truth. And Father, we thank you that you give it to us through your word this morning. Until that day that we stand with all the creation and proclaim this truth, Father, let us proclaim truth this morning, this morning, to make it through this day and this week. We pray all this in the hope and the truth that is Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.